thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? here with episode 10 of Love That Album podcast. Uh, thank you so much for downloading this and uh, continuing to support the show. I'm very, very excited. I've actually hit double digits. Yay! I started this whole podcast uh, as a bit of an experiment, not really sure where it was going to go. In fact, I started a blog last year on writing about rock albums, my favorite rock albums, and uh, decided to develop it into a podcast instead. Not really done much writing in the last few months, but um, I'm very excited that uh, I've taken it this far uh, with the help of some really fantastic collaborators, and they'll be joining me over uh, the coming episodes of 2012. That's the other thing. Gosh, we're in 2012 already. Happy New Year to you. Um, had some really great uh, people joining me on the program last year and and uh they'll be returning this year to collaborate with me and talk about uh some more favorite albums uh got uh, a couple of new people coming on board which is very very exciting uh more information about that at a later time yeah so there'll be a couple of uh, interesting new developments with the show uh over uh, the next few episodes but um uh, more on that as uh, we approach that time um, so I hope everyone out there is uh, doing all right. If you're um, listening to this in the Southern Hemisphere, hope you're having a great and enjoyable summer. If you're on holiday, hope you're enjoying your holiday. Uh, if you're at work, then um, I hope that uh, you've got a myriad of uh, great albums uh, to listen to and movies to watch and books to read and podcasts to listen to, all that sort of exciting thing. I'm certainly enjoying my break at the moment. Went away for uh, a week with my family. Did a little bit of surfing, living the Beach Boys dream. Uh, could only stay on a surfboard for about five seconds, but uh, hey, that's five seconds more than what I could do before I went away on that holiday. Spent a lot of lovely time down at the beach, and I've still got a little bit of time off work. Life is really good. I hope life is good for uh, all you listeners out there. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, I hope you're not suffering through too cold a winter. Uh, anyway, summer will be your turn in a few months while we're freezing our asses off down here in Australia. Okay, time to uh, actually get into the program proper. Uh, enough of the um, introduction sort of stuff. Uh, now, normally at the start of a program, I would discuss with whoever my co-host would be as to albums that uh, we've both been listening to in recent times. Um, I don't have a partner for this show. I'm going to be doing this one all by myself. Boo-hoo. Um, I think I'll forego uh, stuff that I've been listening to uh, over the summer break. And we'll leave that to um, the next program that, um, <coughs> oh, excuse me, I should be recording within the uh, next couple of weeks with uh, my good friend Jeff Smith. Uh, so this one, uh, this show, um, this will be probably... Uh, it, it, it's a strange combination. It'll be the most recent album that I have uh, spoken about. Normally, I've gone and spoken about albums that are many, many years old. And uh, this is actually, I'm going to be tackling an album from 2011. Uh, Paul Simon's So Beautiful or So What. So it's a new album, but uh, an artist whose career has spanned something like you know half a century. So... You know, it's not like I've done anything really radical, like you know, taking some modern rap artist or something like that to discuss. Uh, but uh, yes, yeah, so beautiful or so what? Now, I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed because in my last program where I was uh, chatting with Julian Gillis about the uh, couple of Matthew Sweet albums, Girlfriend and Altered Beast, I also included a bit where uh, Jules and I discussed what our favorite albums of 2011 were. And I'm really embarrassed to say that I forgot to mention so Beautiful or So What by Paul Simon. It really is a fantastic album and uh, a big return to form after a, of a couple of disappointments in recent years. 
so I'm looking forward to uh, talking with you about that. Um, I think before I go into discussing about Paul Simon, we'll have a very quick break. I know it's very early on in the show, but I'd like to separate me talking the guff about my own summer holiday uh, and getting into the program proper. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes. You're listening to episode 10. Did I say it was episode 10? Of Love That Album. We'll be back in a minute. This is a great jump film from the Girls on Film Radio. Are you tired of all those vegetarian or vegan podcasts? We just listened to what the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema had to say about the Girls on Film Radio. A lot of good meat in there. There's a lot of good meat in there uh, that the girls talk about. You guys got a lot of nice meat over there at the podcast. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right. So there you have it. The meaty film discussion by meaty women. Listen to Girls on Film Radio. Girlsonfilm.podomatic.com Hello and welcome back to Love That Album, episode 10. Paul Simon's So Beautiful or So What, his album of 2011, is to be the focus of this episode of the show. Uh, before I go into um, uh, my feelings about the various songs on the album, let's uh, go and do something of a, I don't know, a little bit of a history backstory on Paul Simon. Um, a little bit difficult to sort of present too much that's new, I guess, because uh, Paul Simon has been um, very much in the public eye for uh, over 50 years, I think. Uh, both as a uh, member of Simon and Garfunkel and also for his own solo projects for uh, many of those years. Um, he's just turned 70 only a couple of months ago uh, as of uh, the time of this recording. He was born in New Jersey on October 13th, 1941, according to Wikipedia, that oracle of all knowledge, supposedly. Uh, the Simon and Garfunkel story, I guess, is very well known. Not too much to really say about that that I could add. Um, I mean, yeah, they uh, became friends as 10 or 11-year-olds uh, and, um, you know, started singing harmonies and were very influenced by uh, the songs and the harmonies of duos like the Everly Brothers and remained friends for many years and had the recording contract and did all the sorts of things and all the songs that we're really very well uh, acquainted with through the radio, through films like The Graduate, through their records and greatest hits and their countless reunion tours. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, certainly... Uh, one point I guess I wanted to make, uh, I, I guess it could apply to both uh, Simon's songwriting as Simon and Garfunkel and in his own right, is that as famous as he's been and I guess as applauded as he's been for many of those years... I've often had the feeling that he's never really quite had the songwriting kudos, the songwriting respect that he truly deserves. When we think about great songwriters of uh, 20th century rock music, um, you know, we, you know, we've gone and praised the works, obviously, of you know, the big ones, you know, your Lennon and McCartney's, your Jagger and Richards and uh, your Brian Wilson's and the like, and uh, all fine songwriters, obviously, and you know, people like Ray Davies of the Kinks, but... Simon and Garfunkel sort of seem to take um, something of uh, a place of their own without the emphasis being so much on Paul Simon's songwriting as it is on uh, their performance as a duo, maybe in particular Art Art Garfunkel's uh, angelic vocals uh, and how good the two of them sounded as uh, a harmonic duo. But uh, really, uh, Paul Simon had some, and still does, had some really seriously good songwriting chops. After the initial breakup of Simon and Garfunkel, and I do say initial because they have reformed uh, several times over the last 40 years, more for greatest hits and golden oldies type tours, uh, Paul Simon really did some uh, interesting experimentation, sort of moving a bit away from the folksy folk pop sound uh, that Simon and Garfunkel did so well. And long before the term world music was coined, Paul really took uh, a bit of a shine to different uh, indigenous or national uh, music styles. So uh, fairly early on, he delved into uh, songs like Mother and Child Reunion, which had a real reggae feel. 
you know, loves me like a rock which had a gospel feel. Although I guess with Bridge Over Troubled Water, he'd already dabbled uh, musically in a uh, gospel vein. There was also the very early song Duncan, uh, which I guess had the Peruvian panpipes feel in the chorus there. So Paul was sort of taking an interest in songs outside the traditional pop American idiom. And I think his uh, album Live Rhyming used uh, a gospel uh, group uh, on uh, vocals for uh, a lot of the tunes, reinterpreting a lot of the early Simon and Garfunkel material in somewhat of a gospel vein. Um, by the mid-70s, he'd moved on to do something that was more akin to, I guess, a fairly slick pop style. He'd gone and put together um, a, a really crack band of session musicians who he'd used for a few years uh, from that point. The album was still crazy after all these years. And he had players like Steve Gadd on drums and Richard T on keyboards, who you know, stayed with him for quite a while. Uh, still crazy after all these years, won him the uh, Grammy for uh, the album of the year. And when I say that these were highly polished session players, I don't mean that necessarily as a bad thing, because I certainly, for the most part, do prefer my music a little bit more natural, a little bit more raw. But um, these were really great songs and uh, played in fine fashion by uh, by these musicians. I think that album was back in 1975, and uh, the, uh, the really big songs uh, off that album did probably remember from your golden oldies radio station, you know, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, which had uh, an incredible Steve Gadd beat, which powered the song. Yeah, in that song, the riff is the drum beat. And uh, I remember in an early band of mine feeling very pleased with myself that I was able to uh, bastardize in some way the Steve Gadd drum beat for it. You know, nowhere near as proficient as uh, Steve Gadd himself, obviously, but it was still some small source of pride to me. So further on down the road from Still Crazy After All These Years, Paul Simon remained, I guess, somewhat uh, inactive musically for a few years. I think he was still pursuing a bunch of other projects. Um, one thing which you might recall that he did in the mid-70s was um, he acted in a brief role in uh, Woody Allen's uh, 1977 film Annie Hall. Uh, he played uh, he played the part of a, a West Coast, um, I wouldn't call him a sleazy sort of guy, but he, he was... He, he, his character was certainly tempting, a tempting life to Diane Keaton's Annie Hall. Uh, Woody Allen was the diehard East Coaster who uh, was very possessive and wanted to hold on to uh, Annie. But um, uh, this Paul Simon's character, Tony Lacey, comes in on the scene and is seen as an attractive alternative to the uh, whiny, uh, possessive uh, New York uh, Woody Allen, uh, nebbish character, uh, for a brief part of the film. Uh, so anyway, look, as, uh, as an actor, Paul Simon was a really good songwriter. <laughs> there was, uh, no chance of him being nominated for any acting awards in this. And that sort of leads on to where I wanted to go with his next project, at least, well, the next big one, uh, which was One Trick Pony. Now, this to me is something, I guess, of a vanity project for Paul Simon. He wrote the script um, and uh, did the soundtrack. Well, did the soundtrack. It was, for all intents and purposes, the album was the next new Paul Simon album. Um, and the album, musically, it, it stands out as probably my favourite of all the Paul Simon recordings. Uh, and but at the other end of the scale, the uh, film uh, serves as something of an idea in his career. The the dialogue is trite, and Paul Simon's acting is absolutely abysmal in this humble podcaster's opinion. Uh, but I think you'd be hard pressed to find many people out there who'd uh, differ from me uh, in at least in the. Uh, in, in, in the review of the film's merits. Um, the idea behind the story, if you haven't seen it or read the script, was um, Paul Simon was playing um, a, a character probably not unlike himself at that point, 
someone who had been famous in the 60s for uh, a handful of uh, 60s folk protest anthems, one particular song called Soft Parachutes, which he wrote specifically for the film, but never appeared on the original soundtrack, although I think it's come up on the remastered edition. Um, anyway, uh, Paul Simon now finds himself, or his character uh, called Jonah, finds himself uh, touring the, the, the clubs around America, just basically keeping himself afloat, and he's got uh, an alimony to pay and a son who he barely gets a chance to see. Um, and he's touring around the States with, uh, with this bunch of, uh, excellent musicians played by, well, his real life bands, Steve Gadd, Tony Levin, um, uh, Richard T. And I've forgotten the name of the guitar player, Eric, uh, Eric someone, but uh, a really great jazz guitar player of the day. Um, and, uh, you know, what was really there, what, what could have been a really interesting project about, um, uh, that the, how how a once famous musician had maybe fallen on harder times um, really did not work because of uh, Simon finding that you know he, well he he has a great uh, knack for a song lyric and a great ear for a melody but he but the dialogue for a lot of the time was very trite and the acting was well and as I said in my opinion quite abysmal. Um, uh, it's a shame that he didn't just sort of go to a real script writer uh, of the day and say, look, I've got this great idea for a story. I've lived it. Here's the story. You write the script that m he might have come up with a, a bona fide rock film classic. But uh, such was not to be. Uh, but the soundtrack itself, as I said, it spawned, I think, the hit single Late in the Evening, um, which I guess became a, a big live concert favorite for many years. But really, every song on this album is a gem. It, I, I guess it has some of that uh, West Coast sound, uh, unusual considering you know Simon is from New York. But you know, given that he was trying to different things, uh, and I, I guess stylistically, it's not too far away from what he'd gone and done on the Still Crazy After All These Years album. Uh, but um, for, for mine, the songwriting on One Trick Pony was just that little bit better. Uh, so, um, never mind the film. I'm not even sure if it's in print on DVD or not. Um, if, if you happen to be in the same room where it's playing, I guess watch it to see what I mean. It's probably worth seeing once, but, um, but really the soundtrack is what you want to put your head around. Uh, following that, um, I'm not quite, I can't quite remember the order. No, I think there was a Simon and Garfunkel reunion in Central Park. No need to talk about that. I guess every man and his dog knows about that. But, um, the next solo album, was turned out to be something of a turning point in a way for uh, for Simon, maybe not a good one necessarily. Uh, he put out an album called Hearts and Bones, which uh, for mine uh, had some really mighty fine songwriting, but the public, general public ignored it. Um, he had uh, Al Demiola, uh, the hotshot jazz fusion guitarist, play the guitar solo on the single from the album Allergies. Uh, he wrote... Um, uh, there, there are, all the songs are great, but for mine, the two uh, favourites uh, I've already gone and written about on my blog. Go have a read of it at uh, lovethatalbum.blogspot.com if you want to. But uh, the two songs, as I said, for mine were Song About the Moon and The Late Great Johnny Ace. Now, Simon had gone and debuted The Late Great Johnny Ace at the Simon and Garfunkel concert in the park, uh, which didn't actually make it to the soundtrack album, but I think is on the DVD version of the concert and it gets to be a point in the song where uh, some guy from the audience runs on stage almost looks like he's ready to attack him uh, and the song was um, uh, you know, divided into three parts the first part uh, Simon singing about how he uh, had heard about the death of uh, 1950s blues jazz singer Johnny Ace uh, leads to the middle part of the song where he's talking about his time in London um, and he's heard about the, uh, uh, the death of, uh, John F. Kennedy. And the, the last part of the song is, uh, set in 1980. He's walking through, uh, the New York streets at Christmas time and hears about the death of John Lennon. Um, and all is brought together very beautifully. And there's a coda, uh, written by, uh, Philip Glass, not a composer who I'm, 
uh, you know, particularly keen on, but what he's gone and written and arranged for the end of uh, this Paul Simon song, uh, where it really needed this ending. He's just gone and done a magnificent job. So um, if you can find a copy of Hearts and Bones, I'd urge you to seek that out. But um, if not, then go onto YouTube. I'm sure you can find that song, The Late Great Johnny Ace, uh, either extracted directly off the album or there'll probably be the film clip from the concert in Central Park. But of course, minus the Philip Glass Coda. Um, so, yeah, but that album, as uh, musically successful as it was, it just didn't strike anything with the public, and I think it you know, sold really very, very little. So he didn't do anything musically for a few years, and Simon had to go find his way, and then hence the, the album that every man and his dog went and bought, which was Graceland. Um, and he went and introduced uh, South African music styles to the general public, who uh, may not have heard the uh, the sounds of Township Jive, Jive and uh, Mibikanka. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but um, uh, he, he introduced those styles to the general public. Plus, there was some a cappella, and there was uh, even a couple of non-South African tracks or non-South African-influenced tracks on the album, um, one played by Los Lobos. Now, for those of you old enough to remember, uh, Simon got into a lot of trouble with the general public at the time because the general music community had gone and made a vow that they would not do anything to support the South African uh, apartheid regime and you know, Paul Simon, they accused of breaking that general consensus and he said, well, no, that's not right at all. I went to South Africa, but I'm playing with those un underrepresented musicians. This is not supporting the uh, the apartheid regime. I'm supporting the musicians who otherwise, you know, the the black South African musicians who otherwise wouldn't be heard. Um, but uh, uh, his detractors, I guess, lost out in the end because uh, a of Simon's common sense and b uh, the general public uh, really took to this album. Um, and the interesting thing, he he said he was not so much interested in writing lyrics about uh, the plight. Of the, uh, of the South African public. He just wanted to use the music styles and write, I guess, the, the sort of lyrics that, um, he normally wrote, whatever that might be. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the album was immensely popular. Uh, and yeah, I, I, to this day, I still laugh when I think about the film clip that he did with Chevy Chase for the big single off the album, You Can Call Me Al. Search it out on YouTube if you haven't seen it. There's a couple of different film clips, but look for the, the one with Chevy Chase. I'm not a big Chevy Chase fan, but um, this is a very, very funny film clip. Um, so then he went and did a few more albums over the years, none of which sort of reached the uh, popularity, the heights of, of um, uh, Graceland, but it seemed to have brought his... Uh, career back to some level of public recognition. Uh, the Rhythm of the Saints was his follow-up album, which sort of uh, did things, I think, for uh, Brazilian music in the same way that Graceland had done for South African music. Uh, I sort of tended to find this album a little bit dull. I'm not sure uh, what you folks out there might think of it, if you're familiar with it, but um, uh, I went to see him in concert about the time that he'd uh, gone and released that album. He performed here in Australia and uh, still put on an amazing show uh, with a lot of musicians from both the Graceland and Rhythm of the Saints albums. So uh, he was still in fine form because he had a whole back catalogue, including songs off both of those albums to, um, uh, uh, to, to dig into. Uh, so, yeah, other, other albums that came out uh, after, after uh, Rhythm of the Saints, there was um, uh, songs from the Cape Man, which were songs that he'd gone and written for a failed uh, Broadway musical. So it seems that really Simon can't really uh, do much in terms of writing a script, writing a story, be it for a film or for a play. But once again, uh, the music was absolutely spot on. Um, I won't go into the story of the Cape Man, but um, the, the songs here adopt uh, Latin flavors, American doo-wop, acapella, early 50s rock and roll. Um, and it's just absolutely a joy to listen to. I know that the album has some detractors, but um, I'm certainly not one of them. I actually see it as a bit of a high point in Paul Simon's career. Another couple of albums come after that, which, yeah, did nothing for me. Uh, one called You're the One or She's the One. I can't even remember the title, but I found it a little bit 
dull, heard a bit of it in the shop and thought, nah, I don't need to buy this one. Uh, he came out a few years after that with what was his last album for Warner Brothers uh, called Surprises. And he uh, had Brian Eno produce this and there was a whole lot of um, electronics on this album. I'm not really sure who he was aiming the album at. Uh, the traditional Paul Simon fans, I think, balked a bit. They were prepared to sort of go through his various uh, world music adventures, but um, uh, the electronics was maybe a step too far. Uh, and, and I don't know, maybe he sort of thought he was being adventurous. And I guess he was being adventurous in a way, but I don't think he, the, the music actually paid dividends. There's nothing terribly memorable in, in my thoughts anyway. Uh, about the songs on this album. Um, and that leads us to his album now of uh, 2011, the one that's the focus of this show. Uh, so beautiful or so what? Well, now that I've just gone and spoken for nearly 20 minutes about uh, the background of Paul Simon, and I didn't really think I'd have that much to say given how well-known a figure he is, but um, I think now's as good a time as any to take a break. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes to focus on So Beautiful or So What. You're listening to Love That Album. American People, a podcast called Silver and Gold Daddy. And you know that the American Green, Dusty Rhodes, knows how to bring home the gold, Daddy. And just like Henry Silva sticking Barbara Boucher's head inside a sow hanging from the ceiling, Silver and Gold will stick it to you. Stick it to your ears, stick it to your mouth, your eyes, your nose, daddy. And all points in between, they'll take your listening pleasure and stick it between a sow's caucus hanging from the ceiling, daddy. Silver and gold, we talk about movies and shit. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com. And we're back from break. Morris Bushtinsky speaking here. You're listening to Love That Album podcast episode number 10. And the focus is going to be now on Paul Simon's So Beautiful or So What. Now, he put this album out. I think it was released, I don't know, June, July of 2011. That's certainly when I became aware of it. Um, and because of the failure, as I saw it, of his previous album, Surprises, uh, and you're the one, or she's the one, before that. I wasn't really holding high hopes. But I went and bought a copy of the CD anyway for my sister's birthday, uh, as she was the one who'd gone and introduced me all those years ago as a kid to the music of Simon and Garfunkel. And I figured, well, you know, she'll like it no matter what. So I bought it for her and had a listen over at her place to uh, the music and was overjoyed to realise that my assumptions had been wrong and stupid uh hence went out and bought myself uh, a copy for myself uh of this album so let's get into it so the album opens up with uh, a track that i know a lot of other reviewers have gone and uh focused on uh the album's opener is called getting ready for christmas day now i, I should probably point out uh before even getting into this that there are two main themes on this album uh and they are love and God. Now, love, not so unusual, is a common theme for a lot of songwriters and a common theme uh, for Paul Simon as a songwriter. But of course, you know, love in his hands as compared to love in a lot of other songwriters' hands is something uh, completely different and uh, quite beautiful. Um, in, in the article that I went and wrote for my blog months ago, I'd gone and made mention of an article that Paul Simon had written many years ago for a book compiled by George Martin. Uh, the book was called Making Music. And Paul Simon had written that his style of songwriting back then, and presumably today, uh, was that he would approach his songwriting in a very methodical way, in an almost workmanlike way. It, it doesn't sound inspirational, but it really worked for him. He'd be up first thing in the morning at 6 o'clock, 
go to his office, go to his room, and probably work like all those Brill Building songwriters of the 60s. Uh, he'd sharpen his pencil, get his book out, grab his guitar, and he'd start working on melody and lyrics, but in a very methodical way. He might spend weeks or months on the one song. He wasn't just sort of waiting for inspiration and dumping the first thing that came into his head. Every word has to have its own certain spot. And it really shows up in this album. The lyrics are an absolute treat. Um, so yeah, mentioning it. So love, uh, was one of the two main themes of this album and God. Now he's not gone and done a Bob Dylan slow train coming here album here and neither is he doing a uh, religion bashing uh, in uh, type thing here either. Uh, I believe in an interview he said that for um, uh, someone who is born Jewish and is not practicing, he tends to know a lot about Christianity. Uh, and that certainly shows up on this album. So let's go through some of these songs. We'll point out some of those moments. Uh, this first song, Getting Ready for Christmas Day, is actually, funnily enough, less about the religious side of things but um, more as he sees things from a 21st century perspective. A couple of verses sort of espousing a, a fairly cynical state of the nation before coming to a, a, a fairly positive end. Um, so musically, it's a bluesy, gospely type album opener. Um, the uh, drummer for the album, uh, his name is Jim Oblong. No, not Steve Gadd, unfortunately, but Jim Oblong does a mighty fantastic job here. Uh, he, he sets out a very simple and rock-steady rhythm uh, using using brushes rather than sticks on this. And uh, some great rhythm guitar work from uh, Paul Simon. And uh, the only other musician from the album who I've heard of, uh, which is Vincent Muni. I'm not sure if that, I've pronounced that right, but that's spelled N-G-U-I-N-I, who's uh, his longtime guitarist since the days of Graceland. And uh, yeah, they put out some really lovely uh, guitar work here. Uh, Vincent putting out the, the really nice uh, electric guitar embellishments and uh, Paul Simon playing a sort of bluesy, bottlenecky type acoustic accompaniment. Um, and look, anyway, so as I said, the song starts off in a fairly cynical way uh, as you know he's approaching Christmas. The first verse he sings, uh, I got money matters weighing me down. In the days I work my day job, in the night I work my night, but it all comes down to working man pay. I'm getting ready for Christmas Day. Um, so, you know, here we are, you know, approaching Christmas and every every shop owner and every business is trying to obviously implore you to part with your hard earned and buy all those presents which everyone needs, inverted commas. Uh, but, you know, this is a song about the reality of uh, just a working guy, you know, he's working two shifts a night in the day job and um, this is how he has to approach Christmas Day uh, with you know, very little money. Um, a, a common tale. Uh, but uh, but I, I like how Simon goes and introduces it in a very personal way. Uh, the second verse, um, also uh, in, in a fairly um, harsh and gritty uh, sort of vein, uh, taking a, 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 but taking a different tack. He sings, I've got a nephew in Iraq. It's his third time back, but it's uh, it's ending up the way it began. With the luck of a beginner, he'll be eating turkey dinner on some mountaintop in Pakistan. So, you know, Christmas time, as I said, is sold to the public as a family time, but uh, not for those members of the Defence Forces who are forced to uh, make do somewhere far away from home, uh, you know, working and taking part in some sort of conflict beyond their control. Um, I should also make mention that uh, this is one of two songs on the album that Paul Simon has a sample and he's gone and taken a sample from a, a 1940s gospel sermon uh, from a, a man called Reverend J.M. Gates, not sure what the J.M. stands for, uh, and his sermon preaches a similar line to the... Um, the, the harsh realities of life that Paul Simon's gone and pointed out in the early parts of the song. Uh, but, of course, you know, Paul Simon doesn't want to be seen as being too negative and is trying to find that positive angle to end the song off on. And that's the sort of thing I imagine he would have written in about 
uh, in depth if he was asked to write an essay about his songwriting techniques nowadays. Uh, you know, taking this harsh, gritty tack, but there's still hope at the end of the tunnel. So by the song's end, uh, you know, his cynicism, if not quite erased, he's trying to take a positive spin and the values of uh, appreciation reflect uh, the singer's optimism where he sings, uh, if I could tell my mum and dad that the things we never had never mattered, we were always okay, we're getting ready, getting ready for Christmas Day. So, it, yeah, it, it's... Um, I think you'll agree. Uh, it, it's really a nice way to end off that song. You know, pointing out the songs, the, you know, the, the season's harsh realities for certain people. But um, you know, as as a child, you know, he, he always wanted to point out to his parents that we didn't need all this fancy stuff. We didn't need necessarily the big fancy trees or the fancy presents. We were together, and that was all that matters. And uh, you know, rather rather wonderful tune from a nice Jewish boy like Paul Simon. Um, second song on the album is called The Afterlife and this is uh, where Simon's uh, flirtation uh, not flirtation but um, his uh, uh, his thoughts on religion uh, kick in uh, musically it's uh, very Zydeco influenced um, and the song so the song starts off with you know, the, the protagonist the song uh, the singer of the song he's dead and he's singing the song from the afterlife and this uh, Paul Simon has gone and written this song uh, from uh, the perspective that the afterlife is really like any big business or government department uh, where if you want to catch a glimpse of God or you want to be able to uh, shake his hand or have a bit of a chin wag with him you've got to fill in a form and stand in line and he even suggests that Buddha and Moses uh, have to do the same thing so what help do uh, the general schlebs have but uh, it, it's, it looks a very, very funny song. Actually, even in one part of the song, uh, Simon's dead character is um, finds himself trying to pick up on a dead homecoming queen. So uh, even in the afterlife, I guess, is a protocol and decorum for uh, picking up people in all sorts of strange places. Uh, so we go to uh, the third song on the album. Differs itself from uh, the first pair of songs that were more, I guess, in uh, the American 20th century idioms. Um, I don't believe I used the word idioms, but there you go. Um, so this this song sort of bears uh, closer resemblance stylistically to the uh, uh, to the African pop uh, heard on Graceland. Um, in particular, it reminds me uh, melodically of uh, the song from that album, Under African Skies. Um, he's left behind for, for a few moments uh, the big issues of uh, deities and wars and focuses on a relationship seemingly gone wrong, yet the singer ultimately believes that he and his beloved are meant to be together. So earlier on in the song he sings, uh, Truth or lie, the silence is revealing. The cat scans eyes, sees what the heart's concealing. So we get the you know the impression here that things are not all what they could be. Uh, uh, but um, but then he turns it around to uh, an optimistic perspective later on in the song, singing maybe love's an accident or destiny is true, but you and I were born beneath a star of dazzling blue. Um, I like this. I like this uh, idea, and I, I like the song. It's an honest song that shows that while we can all fall into complacency and silence in our relationships, sometimes we can remember what was beautiful about our relationship in the first place and use that to proceed through troubled times. Uh, following that, there's um, a song uh, called "Rewrite." Um, uh, now, this is a really beautiful acoustic rolling riff played on. Um, Simon's guitar against uh, a, a, a jambe beat uh, with the occasional uh, flourishes from a, a cora, and that's a stringed instrument. I'm not quite sure exactly how it looks like, but it sounds almost like a harp, and it's really beautiful. Um, it's a gentle song, yet quite vibrant, if that doesn't seem to contradict uh, itself. Uh, it has this repetitive riff, but it never drags or outstays its welcome. Uh, the song is being sung from the perspective of um, an author, um, a paperback writer maybe. Uh, he's desperately trying to rewrite this novel that he's gone and put together uh, to make it uh, buyer-friendly. And um, you know, really, I think in this in this song, the, the, the author is singing that you know, his artistic integrity can be damned 
Um, he really just wants to turn this book into cash. Um, uh, there's uh, a great verse in there that says, I'll eliminate the pages where the father has a breakdown and he has to leave the family, but he really meant no harm. I'm going to substitute a car chase and a race across the rooftops when the father saves the children and he holds them in his arms. Uh, so I think that's an author with uh, one eye towards Hollywood, not necessarily to uh, the reading public. But um, yeah, I know maybe Simon's got uh, a bit of a, an eye there on what is needed uh, to get um, books published nowadays. I don't know, maybe uh, he's learnt something since the days of writing the script for One Trick Pony. Not sure the car chase might have improved that film. Um, and uh, the interesting thing is he's also he's singing to his muse, who he believes has inspired him with the necessary changes for, uh, for his book. He sings, you know, help me, help me, thank you. I had no idea that you were there. It's almost like he didn't actually believe in the news until inspiration hit and that's who he decided he was going to uh, oh, thank, uh, as it were. He uh, had to attribute his um, good fortune to uh, inspiration from the news rather than uh, self-belief, self-belief in his own abilities. Uh, track number five on the album uh, is, well, it's my favourite song on the album and really would have to come close to being one of the best songs I've heard in the last year and maybe for the last few years. Uh, it's, it opens with piano rather than um, rather than with the customary guitar and really the only other, well I guess it's probably not the only other song that uh, Simon has a predominant piano on. I mean, you know, Bridge Over Troubled Water is an obvious example and there's, you know, I'm sure a few others in there that I can't recall off the, off the top of my head. But um, a really very beautiful, understated piano here. And uh, certainly this song, Love and Hard Times, is the album's centerpiece. Uh, it's, it's beautiful and challenging, very melodic, but it's not delivered in the conventional popular song verse-chorus or even verse-verse format. Um, it's a song that flows and uh, always has the hair on the back of my arm standing up, and I've listened to this song a lot of times. Um, as I said, not a conventional structure, uh, but it does adopt uh, a common Paul Simon technique of starting off with one subject, going somewhere seemingly completely different, and then tying everything together at the end. Um, uh, so yeah, musically, it starts off, as I said, with this piano melody, then followed after a few seconds by Paul Simon's acoustic guitar, then uh, a tasteful, I should emphasize, string section. I know that pop music has been littered with a lot of overdone, overflowery, fl- flurry, flowery string sections that just completely wrecked what would have otherwise been a beautiful song. But uh, this string section is uh, just lovely, really um Tugs on the heartstrings, but in a good way. Not, uh, not, uh, sickeningly sweet, um, but just hits the right buttons, uh, for me. Um, and the music has been arranged by a man called Gil Goldstein, or at least the string section was anyway, and he's really hit the money for me on this one. Uh, his arrangement reflects the lyric perfectly at the right time. Ebbs and flows, ebbs and flows. Uh, so part one of the song starts off with, uh, uh, God and his only son, as Paul Simon puts him. God and his only son pay a, pay a call on earth just to see how things are. Uh, now, God doesn't really want to hang around. Uh, he, you know, he accuses the inhabitants of the earth as being a pack of slobs. And basically, you know, he thinks that they've fucked it up, which I guess we have. Um, and anyway, he sings, I've got other galaxies to create. Um, so, you know, it's in, you know, Simon's painting uh, God here as somewhat of an absent father. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's happy to, you know, have created the original universe and he's happy to keep on going, but not terribly keen on the maintenance. Um, you know, God's philosophy here is, look, you know, I've given them love and I've given them the earth, uh, but really they'll have to face up to their own hard times. Uh, so he created the earth with love and he's, and, but we've got to create our own hard times. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to sort of lead this into the title of the song. Um, part two uh, uh, of the song, it, it 
really starts out, um, it's, it's a lovely lyric, but you sort of think, well, how does this relate to the first part? Uh, he starts off with this uh, line saying, I've loved you from the first time I saw you. I know that's an old songwriter's cliche, but I've loved you from the first time I saw you and I can't describe it any other way. Look, in anyone else's hands, in any other tune, that really might have sounded very naff, but it just works so beautifully here. So he's, you know, he's establishing this theme of love, and then he comes up with this lyric, the rains came, the tears, the tears buried. So, you know, there's, there's relationship difficulties here. Um, and then this line that's an absolute killer, but so honest. Uh, it's easy to be generous when you're on a roll. It's hard to be grateful when you're out of control. Um, you know, he could be either here singing about this relationship that's you know, hit some difficult times, either with humans or a, per- a person who you know may be devout. His he might find he's having difficulties in his relationship with God or God with humankind. Um, uh, my apologies to the agnostics and atheists out here. I'm just interpreting the song. Um, either way, relationships face hard times. Um, and then he pulls it all together in the last verse uh, about the light at the edge of the curtain and finishes off the song with, Thank God I found you in time. Thank God I found you. Um, and just for me, absolute killer end of song, uh, killer line. Uh, and really, as I said, these lines would be awful in anyone else's hands, but um, Paul Simon just really pulls this all together. If you don't go out and buy this album, uh, and I think every one of you should if you haven't already, but if nothing else, go onto YouTube, type up Love and Hard Times, and just give this song a listen. This song, I think, alone should sell the album for you, even though it's you know, the most different song uh, on the album. Uh, so the um, the next song, open up, opening up the second half of the album, it sort of has a bit of a throwback sound-wise to uh, the, the the feel of the previous album, Surprises, a bit of the Brian Eno technical feel, uh, but he also keeps it very grounded uh, with, um, uh, with with what sounds to me like a uh, the classic Fender Stratocaster reverb sound, uh, something that he uses a few times on this album. The song "Love Is the Sacred Light." Oh, sorry, "Love Is the Eternal Sacred Light." Uh, this song ponders about the nature of good and evil, and Simon singing here uh, assumes the voice of God once again. Uh, Simon, he's not become a born again anything. I've got to, uh, I've got to emphasise this. But as someone well versed in song composition, you know, almost as literature, he uh, obviously sees God as a valid voice for his stories on this album. So God complains that uh, in, in this song, at one part, that the Big Bang was a joke he made up, but the human race is too dumb to get it. Um, in one voice. He uh, summarizes the history of the world in his quest for good and evil. Earth becomes a farm, farmer takes a wife, wife becomes a river and the giver of life. Man becomes machine, oil runs down his face, machine becomes a man with a bomb in the marketplace. Which sort of recalls, I guess, the lyric of uh, the boy in the bubble from uh, from Graceland, where they're talking about uh, the bomb and the baby carriage wired to the radio. Uh, but I, I love that little verse. You know, basically, you know, philosophers over the ages have discussed, you know, the, the nature of good and evil and the nature of of religion versus uh, versus uh, Darwinism. And um, you know, basically, he's gone and summarised, I think, in one verse, everything that philosophers have uh, wanted to be right about for um, forever. Um, uh, so yeah, great, great uh, start to the second half of the album. Uh, he follows that up with a, an instrumental called Amulet, a, a really lovely little instrumental. I'm not really going to have too much to say about it. Um, but uh, apart from the fact that I think it might be one of the, maybe only the second uh, pure instrumental that I can recall Paul Simon playing. Uh, the other one was uh, his cover of uh, the tune Angie, previously written, I think written and performed by Davy Graham and Bert Yanch. Um, that was on the Simon and Garfunkel Sounds of Silence album and both tunes both Amulet from this album and Angie show off uh, Paul Simon's seriously good guitar chops 
um, you know, he's often seen as uh, a songwriter, which he is, and a king of songwriters. Um, but um, really, he, he's a very, very good guitar player, and I think that's all been too unfairly looked over. Uh, the next couple of songs on the album uh, don't do it for me as much as the rest of the album. Of course, you know, his, I wouldn't say they're failures, but, um, but yeah, certainly not up to the standard of the rest of the album. But Paul Simon's uh, Not As Goods are still you know, many steps ahead of uh, a lot of other people's uh, best efforts. So, uh, questions for the angels. Is a where it falls down because I think it's maybe a little bit too earnest. Uh, it's certainly melodically not that memorable for me, and um, but still some interesting questions that he poses. The song is posed as well a series of questions for the angels and hence the deity of your choice about the difficult living that we face on this planet of ours. Why are there poor people? Can I escape fear and nightmares? Can I get a refund if my life doesn't go the way I like it through no fault of my own? I'm paraphrasing here, folks. Um, if all of humankind and their monuments vanish tomorrow, will an African zebra give a shit? Um, uh, Paul Simon obviously likes the big zebra-related philosophical issues, um, but uh, it's, it's certainly, I guess, a worthy song, uh, but... You know, sometimes I like things that are a little less worthy. I mean, he's gone and tackled some of the big issues earlier on on the album to great success, but I think this is maybe a little bit too heavy-handed in my opinion. But um, anyway, listen to the album and write to me and let me know how you think. Uh, the next song, Love and Blessings. Um, so, yeah, his lifelong investigation into the nature of love continues on this song. Uh, here he sings about that, uh, you know, just like a rain-starved desert, a simple kindness or act of kindness should be treasured. Joy and love can grow where there was nothing before the metaphorical rain that he sings of. Of course, you know, he uh, reminds us of uh, the nature of love. It's ours to hold, but not to keep. It sounds obvious, but with so many songs, protagonists telling the listener that they're going to keep their lover forever and they'll hold their hands till the end of time. It's, you know, it's good, I guess, to hear him sing about um, you know, the the desire to have uh, you know, to to be with one's partner or one's kindred spirit forever, but realizing that it's not something that you can guarantee and you you, you can you can hold it, but you can't you know, grab onto it finger tight. Um, it's a it's a nice simple truth that is probably alluded to a lot of other songwriters. Um, so. Just like the first song on the album, Getting Ready, uh, I should also mention Paul Simon has taken to using a sample to enhance uh, the song, but you know, not be the entire basis for the song. Um, in uh, the in the uh, uh, chorus, um, he's taken a sample from gospel group, uh, the Golden Gate Jubilee Quartet, uh, and uses their voice in a call and response arrangement uh, to um, uh, his own song's uh, chorus. Uh, also, like on the afterlife, uh, I forgot to mention Paul Simon has uh, taken use of the bebop phrase. You know, the afterlife. He seems to you know, really what does life come down to? Just bebop alula and uh, love and blessings. He sings uh, life is just basically come down to being as can be as simple bebop alula. Um, so you know, he's obviously longing for a time when you know, life and lyrics were a lot simpler than uh, than they are now. Um, so look, you know, not, not a failure by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly not one of the, the best songs on the album. But um, uh, one thing that I do like it is a bit of a New Orleans clarinet solo, and anything that's New Orleans related is pretty cool in my book. So we come to uh, the final song on the album, the title track, and really after La Love and Hard Times, this is my favourite song from the album, uh, with a great message. Um, uh, it has it has a great rockabilly riff with a lot of reverb, um, which you know, I really I don't think you can have too much reverb in a rockabilly song. Um, uh, the feel changes somewhat towards the chorus, but um, the most of the part has that rockabilly riff, and um, the the riff is actually played by Paul Simon himself, and you know re-emphasising what I mentioned earlier on about his uh, about his great guitar chops. Um, so, yeah, this is another song with a philosophical approach. A simple truth. Life is what you make of it. 
so beautiful or so what? And it's interesting because a lot of songwriters have taken the approach that, you know, life is shit or some other songwriters have taken the approach, the blind approach that life is completely beautiful and we just need to look at the stars and we need to uh, give each other a great big hug and life can always be beautiful. And neither songwriter, neither type of songwriter necessarily reflects the middle ground that, you know, it can be great or there can be bad parts to it too. But I like the fact that Simon hasn't gone and called this song so beautiful or so shit. He said, it's so beautiful or so what? Because the reality of it is, is that most people, I think even if they're not, you know, second by second uh, optimistic and smiling their faces off needlessly, uh, tend to be a little bit more, well, ambivalent. So what? A bit meh. And um, you know, I guess that's Simon's, you know, pointing out. It's, it's a realistic thing here. Um, so I, I think it makes for uh, a more realistic and more interesting approach to the song rather than saying, you know, life is shit. He sings about the simple joys of doing things like cooking a chicken gumbo. Um, he sings about reading his children a bedtime story. Will it have a happy ending? Who knows? Life is what you make of it. So beautiful or so what? Um, by the end of the song, he's singing about the uh, assassination of Martin Luther King, which was certainly a tragedy, but I guess he is making the point that, well, life will have to go on. We can take uh, Dr. King's message and make life so beautiful or we can make it so what? Um, and I just think it's a, it, it's a really great message. Overall, I think this album has uh, a lot of messages of hope uh, without being needlessly smiley, smiley, um, which can be a fairly blind approach that some, some of us may take. All right. Well, I've gone and rambled on uh, for another episode. Uh, that comes to the conclusion of uh, my appraisal. Uh, assessment of Paul Simon's So Beautiful or So What, certainly one of the great albums of 2011. And uh, as I said before, I'm really uh, kicking myself that I didn't think to make mention of it in my end of year special in uh, 2011. But anyway, uh, I make up for that by devoting a whole show uh, to that album. All right. Uh, thanks very much for uh, listening to uh, my ramblings about uh, Paul Simon, So Beautiful, So What, and for tuning in or downloading Love That Album for another podcast. Very excited to be into the double digits. Very excited to be heading into 2012. Got quite a few shows coming up uh, over the next few months that I've already sort of got worked out what albums I'm going to cover, plus a couple of other concepts that I'm looking at doing. Hope you can um, uh, download, take the time to uh, go to the website or download from iTunes. If you want to send me any feedback about uh, this show or indeed any of the back shows, I'd be happy to hear what you have to say. Or even if you don't want to talk about the show, you just want to send some feedback because you want to talk about a particular album that you're really interested in and crazy about and we can talk about, uh, I'd be thrilled to hear from you. You can send me an email to rrrkitchen, that's all one word, rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. Uh, you can download the show by typing all one word, love that album into iTunes, or you can go to my blog site, lovethatalbum.blogspot.com and download it from there or, 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 um, stream it from there if you don't want to download it. Either way, I hope you can find some way to uh, continue listening to these shows and enjoying them. I'm really getting a, a huge thrill out of doing a show like this. Uh, and hope that you're enjoying listening to it. All right, time for me to uh, skedaddle, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks. My intention is to be doing a show with uh, my good friend Jeff Smith, and we're going to be covering Suzanne Vega's second album, Solitude Standing. So be interesting to see what Jeff has to say about that. Uh, and, yep, keep the emails coming in, and uh, let me know if you have any suggestions for albums you'd like covered on the show. All right. Cheers, be well, enjoy your summer if you're in Australia and try not to freeze your ass off in winter if you're listening anywhere else around the world. Be well, speak to you soon. Cheers. It's NFL draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.